Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Our guest today brings a servant heart and more than 25 years of experience in education. Dr. Lisa Herring is a Macon, Georgia native and a graduate of Spelman College and Georgia Southern University. Lisa became the superintendent of Atlanta Public Schools in July of 2020 after leading the Birmingham, Alabama City School System. At Birmingham City Schools, Lisa led her team through a significant transformation, stabilizing the leadership, improving system performance, and increasing student achievement. After being under state takeover and conditional accreditation for several years, Lisa led BCS to receive its first awarded a full district accreditation. Her focus on instruction significantly reduced the number of failing schools. 13 schools moved up a letter grade or more. Lisa has been recognized for her commitment to the children and communities she serves through many awards, including Birmingham's Most Influential Executive Award in 2018 and 2019, our What's Right in Education Difference Maker Award in 2019, and the Innovation for Equity in Education in 2018. Most recently, Dr. Lisa Herring was listed on the Atlanta Business League's Top 100 Women of Influence 2021. The women on the top 100 list have reached senior level positions within their profession, are leading entrepreneurs in their industry, and have achieved history-making feats or have achieved broad levels of influence in politics and government. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome to the show today, Dr. Lisa Herring. Dr. Herring, welcome to the show. Thank you, Janet. It's my pleasure to be here. So let's go ahead and kick off, um, Lisa. You've you've had oh gosh, and I've gotten to, I've gotten a chance to know you through many of these years, but you've had an impressive twenty five year background in education. So share with us, you know, a little bit about why you became an educator and more about your journey to the superintendency at Atlanta Public Schools. Absolutely. So thank you for the question. Um, when I think about my journey which is such an appropriate word. I, I think most about beginnings, right? For me, yeah, you know, I'm born and raised in Georgia. Uh, uh, had a very um, um, impactful, in a positive way, childhood. But oftentimes when I think about my uh, love for education and just a deep respect for uh, learning, both as a science and as an experience, I go back to my childhood and my grandparents. Um, I'm the, the granddaughter of a sharecropper from Edenton, Georgia, who quite honestly only attended school three days in his life. Um, my grandfather, John Thomas Jordan Sr. was very good with money, um, but his, he, he labored for whatever money he made. His wife, my grandmother, they were married 62 years, had gone to school up into sixth grade. Collectively, uh, they oftentimes had candid conversations with all of their grandchildren about the importance of education. I have to say that it started there, but then also just being able to um, grow up in a household that valued learning, um, exposed me to a love of books and to then have a public uh, school experience in Macon, Georgia, where I had teachers that inspired me and spoke life into me and really called out my talents. I love school. I enjoy schooling. 
And I think that uh, for me, as the other part of me that's a leader evolved, I saw the two coming together to develop who I am today. I do love school. I want that to be the experience for all children. Uh, but I also understand the um, power of a good education and what it means to really catapult us out of any experience, whether we are people of poverty or privilege, education catapults us. And I'm a firm believer in that. And so that has led to a combination of passion and enjoyment and just leadership. Uh, I didn't think that I would necessarily be a school superintendent, Janet, but here I am. Yeah. And, um, um, uh, I was born in a house full of leaders uh, as well. So my leadership journey is certainly connected to my passion for learning. And so here we are. The um, connection to Atlanta public schools really came from an opportunity to be considered while serving as superintendent in Birmingham. And I was very curious about the opportunity to come back to Georgia, my home state. I was extraordinarily impressed with the district's work towards equity and its commitment of equity toward the district. And uh, having had a chance to work other places, I wanted to make a difference in the state that raised me and in the city that made me an educator. Oh, that's such a nice story, Lisa. And, you know, um, thinking back over our first um, introduction in uh, Charleston you know, County Public Schools, you know, I mean, you were, you're a born leader. I mean, I know you're a born teacher, born educator, but, you know, just recognize you as a born leader and, you know, your ability to, to, to come back to your home. Wow, how significant um, that is. You know, I live in my home, so I understand the value of home. And um, you want to you want to get back, right? I mean, you really want to get back. So talk a little bit about you became, you know, this is this is just such a great question at this time. Uh, you know, you became Atlanta Public School Superintendent in July of 2020. Um, yeah. Such great timing in the middle of the pandemic. So, you know, how did you prepare yourself for that challenge? And, you know, what was most important to you as you joined this district? Yeah, you know, that's one of the questions that sits with me whenever asked about, you know, how did how did I prepare? How did anyone prepare? So there's a two-fold dynamic, right? The preparation for being a superintendent came in every part of my journey that I've had in education, even up to the date of becoming a superintendent for the first time. I think that that was fair preparation um, uh, for, uh, you know, for every challenge and for every success. Uh, that was it was preparing me uh, for the superintendency, whether I knew it or not. But to to take take on this during COVID, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna just anchor that I don't know that there's any preparation for it. We just all have been a little bit of baptism by fire and pulling from the best of what we know and from the best of those who know what we don't know. If that makes yeah. sense, uh, so so much so. Um, so yeah, I hired in April. I, I, I even remember Janet going through the um, interview process around February of 2020, and they were like, mm, "We we want you to be as a finalist. We want you to come, um, but we think we might not be able to walk the buildings." There's oh this, you know, the, there was this. We were the, we were doing the traditional, and then all of a sudden, even the interview process was impeded. Well, it was interrupted uh, by the mm -hmm. pandemic which was a um, preparation or at least a flag to say, get ready because upon hire, all things were changing. In, in, in preparation for that, I think it's a good bit of what I've shared already. Um, mm -hmm. I was preparing for the critical work that was Atlanta Public Schools, um, particularly the work tied to equity. You've mentioned Charleston. 
Um, my experiences in Charleston um, with trying to be a champion for equity and mm -hmm. lifting students up through performance, uh, being in Charleston, South Carolina during a very difficult time with the um, Mother Emanuel AME Church massacre mm -hmm. and having a personal experience to that. Um, having worked in Louisville, although for a short, short time, but still uh, in that space as our administration changed with our presidency, and then being placed in Birmingham uh, during a time where I had inherited a district where, of all cities, I was disheartened that at that time performance was so low in mm -hmm. a space where equity and social justice was birthed in, in a city such as that. Uh, I feel like those were all uh, experiences preparing me not knowing that it would ever be Atlanta. I wasn't necessarily searching out Atlanta, right? Yeah. But I do think about that journey and where my passions and my um, experiences, be them good, bad, challenging, or otherwise, was preparing me for something that I didn't realize such as this. And, and so even when hired as superintendent, the world was changing again in 2020, social yeah. justice, um, a pandemic, mm. um, and it just reminded me of so many of my other journeys in life. So part of you realizes maybe this is where you're supposed to be in this. Season. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to come away from the question, but I, I just, just want to yeah. think about that. Those are the things that really come to mind. And uh, being now superintendent in the city of Atlanta and Atlanta public schools, I do believe that there are direct uh, expectations around what I believe are important. Failure is not an option. It was not in my past experiences as in, in, in leading, but that's also now layered with greater urgencies, right? Um, mm -hmm. It was as though we were um, going through a different kind of battle. And if even if you've been there a little bit, it's different. It's a different armor, but let's go for it. That's right. You know, and I think it's just, it's the change was always, change. I mean, our change was always in front of us. It just accelerated that change and made it that much more serious, you know, Lisa, I think. And, you know, you talked at, at, the, at What's Right in Education, our conference on the panel did a brilliant job and, you know, talked about your the opening of your Center for Equity and Social Justice, and it's the first of its kind. So speak a little bit more about the mission of that center and why that's so important to you and the work you do right now. Well, let me appreciate you, Janet, for even lifting that it is even in this year and a half of the superintendency uh, here in Atlanta. It's one of the things that I am most proud of in terms of the work. Number one, uh, as I was thinking in the first few months of hire, uh, what opportunities were in front of us uh, in the same month that uh, the world was acknowledging the five year unfortunate anniversary of the uh, Charleston uh, massacre that I mentioned earlier. I was trying to make decisions around how will I lead this district in this space of equity and social justice and what manifested from there was this idea around an equity department. But what was in front of me was that social justice had to be a part of that. And Atlanta Public Schools had not had a division or a department, nor had they had a, a, an equity officer. And so in this work, we know you can't just have one person doing all these Herculean tasks. That person also has to sit at the senior level. So when we make decisions, it cascades throughout. So we hired our first chief equity and social justice officer, July of uh, 2020. We created what we call the Center for Equity and Social Justice. And the mission is to positively impact the lives of our learners and learning communities so that every single one of our students thrives my favorite component of that statement is not by accident, 
but mm. by design. But by design, so our children thrive by design. Um, that is a part of our um, uh, a mission statement, quite honestly, and we are a firm believer in that. And so uh, the board was clear, even in its strategic planning, that all things should be approached through the lens of equity. Now, if I'm really going to be a transparent leader, then I also have to say it's been a challenge, right? It's one thing to say it. It's another to do it. <laughs> and everyone is not necessarily uh, anchored in the mindset. So you've got culture shifts, mindset shifts, practices, changes that have to cascade throughout. And when we say all things, I'm clear, our core business is teaching and learning. But when we say all things, we're talking about equitable learning environments, um, equitable resource strategy. We have an ombuds person, an ombudsman or ombuds person now in place. Um, we've done audits and report outs and We've done a great deal in a year, and yet we still have so much to uh, get uh, accomplished uh, in, in the time to come. And I, I do uh, have to remind us that we don't have to move fast. We have to move strategically, right? Um, yes. To make certain that we have an impact. So I'll, I'll get a little yeah. caught up in that. Yeah, yeah I think it's so important and you can, be a, you can be a great model for others because, you know, it's such, it's, it's so needed out there. And, you know, the other thing that you all did, Lisa, under your leadership is, you know, you, you launched the Summer Academic Recovery Academy um, over, over that summer to help address learning loss of students, you know, during the pandemic. So can you share a little bit about the program and how that's helping students? Yes. So, you know, Jan, I just want to be candid. When I was chief academic officer in uh, Charleston and we did some of our initial work relative establishing a strategic plan and identifying metrics and uh, creating baseline data. Uh, that was my first time as a I believe I was CAO then. Yeah. Uh, let me be fair, it wasn't my first time, but it was one of the most intentional times where this notion around accountability and tracking and um, um, projecting where we see success and creating a trajectory towards that was so um, vividly clear. And I've tried to model that everywhere that I've gone. When I arrived here in Atlanta Public Schools, you know, as a superintendent, you take some time to do a data dive or do some analysis of performance. APS did not have a universal screener in place so that I could see across the system in grades K-12 how all of our students were performing as it relates to proficiency levels in reading and mathematics. Um, some districts have that, some do not. I was a bit surprised. I didn't say we didn't have assessments, but they were not universal. Uh, as we initiated or as we pivoted out of COVID, one of the things I knew that had to be a best practice in addition to accounting for um, disrupted or unfinished learning was the ability to assess uh, student uh, performance, academic performance in those two key areas. And so we onboarded a, a, a universal screener. Um, we are utilizing maps so that we could establish baseline data. We started out with a summer academic recovery academy because in July of 2020, when we decided to open school virtually. Uh, and then in that second semester, when we gave the option for a hybrid of all of our scholars, only 40% of our families said, I'm coming back. 60% oh were virtual the entire year, even when given yeah. a choice. 
we knew that we had to have an academic recovery effort. And so when we opened our uh, summer academic recovery, which is a three year focus, it was June of 2020, it will cascade out for the next several summers, 11,000 students enrolled, 11,000. Um, and then by the start of this fall, this fall being August, 2021 through October, 2021, we've been utilizing our universal screener with uh, our assessments. We've started to build and capture uh, um, beginning of year data around student proficiency levels in reading and mathematics. And we are coming together as a district to analyze that. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Not, that's just important to show. Oh, it is. And, you know, I mean, are you, are you far enough into it, Lisa, where you're seeing some results? I mean, are you seeing some positive results or can you see that yet? So uh, we can't see that yet. Here's, but here's okay. what we can see. Yeah. Um, I, I just finished uh, this protocol with our principals called ACES. It's a, it's a, a statistical analysis coming together of, of data, which the principals had not done before in a collective across great bands. But every principal in APS has met with me and a team in a comfortable setting uh, where they can analyze what we have so far. And some things stood out. Uh, everyone looked at their proficiency data for, from our first um, iteration of our MAP assessment. So we were looking at the beginning of the year. We still have to do middle of the year and end of the year assessments. But several principals said they can see where their children are, um, how, where they were performing before the pandemic versus where they are now. They've seen some level of clear interruption in where their, where their children previously were in comparison to Georgia milestones. But then there was another trend that was very outstanding to us. Every single interaction indicated a concern around math proficiency. Oh yeah. Um, and that, that was a collective conversation so much so that we were like, okay, we need to pay attention to both, but what's happening in mathematics? I don't know that that's an indication of uh, seeing progress, but progress is knowing where you're starting from. Yeah. That's progress to me. Janet. Yeah, it's, so, it's yeah. great progress. I mean, just that that's exactly what, what that's for is to have those, you know, it's not a matter of accountability for the punishment's sake, Lisa. It's really yeah. the matter of account, you know, accountability so that we're having the right dialogue, so that we're identifying where the problems are. And that's, you know, that's what you did, you know, as I watched the the years that you spent in Birmingham and the results, the great results that you got, you know, over time year there. I mean, this is that the system you're putting in place is gonna be be um, you know just just life changing I think for the for the district that you're in now. I appreciate Dr. Herring joining us today, and please please stay tuned next week to part two of our interview. You don't want to miss it. I had such a great time interviewing Dr. Herring, and the information that she shares is meaningful for all of us to hear and learn from. Also, to learn more about our upcoming virtual events like our leader roundtables and our conferences, please visit studereducation.com slash events. I thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please follow us and rate our podcast and Apple podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week, everyone.